So good morning listeners and welcome to Sacred Space here in West Limit 102. My name is John Kelly. Thank you again for joining me this morning and this beautiful morning. This being the third Sunday in Ordinary Time, um, the, fifth, the, the 22nd of January. We'd like especially to welcome those of you who are sick, those of you who are housebound and those of you who are lonely, looking for some hope, looking for, for some encouragement. As usual, we always try to let you know that here on West Limit 102 and Sacred Space, we all try to bring you that hope each Sunday morning. I'd like to welcome into the studio uh, a few guests that, that I got with me this morning. First of all, Anne, good morning to you, Anne. How are you? Good morning, John. And Martina, good morning, Martina O'Sullivan. been a little bit of time since you've been on the programme, but you're welcome. Thanks, Thanks John. Yeah, it's great to be back. And the reason why you're back is because you brought another little guest. Yes, I have a very special guest. Would you mind introducing the guest, please? Yes, indeed. Um, This morning, uh, our listeners are very privileged. We have a wonderful lady from, uh, her name is uh, Dr. Mary Healy. Uh, She's an associate professor of scripture at Sacred Heart Major Seminary in Detroit. And she's um, one of the members of the Pontifical Biblical Commission. In fact, she's one of three women that are on this uh, commission and she's a popular speaker and an author of many many books one of which I'm reading at the moment and it's called um, Healing Bringing the Gift of God's Mercy to the World. So Dr. Mary you're very welcome to Sacred Space here in West Lumic in Ireland. Thank you I'm so glad to be with you. Do you know I visited Ireland several times as a child and a young adult because my grandparents lived there in, in Glengariff in County Cork during oh my the summer. Goodness. We so were I have guessing. Very fond memories of Ireland. Beautiful. So the next time you come back, we'll have to have you shift a little bit further north up to County Limerick, and maybe we might be able to speak you to that. Well, Mary, that's actually <laughs> okay. very close, not very far from where I was born, Glengariff. So I'm I'm a County oh. Cork woman as well. Yeah. So Mary, thank you indeed for joining us, and again, especially those people, as we said early on, uh, who are sick and housebound and, and looking for some hope this morning. If you want to contact the, t- the station at all during the week and pass a message onto Sacred Space, the local telephone number is 69 or you can email me on sacredspace102 at gmail.com, or you can write a letter, and that's to Sacred Space, get a West Limerick 102 Radio, Sheehan's Road, Newcastle West, County Limerick. In the meantime, uh, we would invite you to stay with us. Mary's going to tell us a little bit about her story, and then in part two and part three, we'll, we'll, we'll touch on certain aspects of that. But in the meantime, Shane is usually here to share, to, to, to share the saints of the week. Um, he's not with us this morning, but very briefly, Martina, you might just let us know who the saints of the week are, please. Yeah, uh, we have a good few um, big saints this week, John. On Tuesday, it's the Feast of St. Francis de Sales. And St. Francis, uh, he was a bishop of Geneva, and he was founder of the Visitation Sisters. He worked with gentleness and love to rebuild the Catholic faith after the Reformation. Then on Wednesday, we have the conversion of St. Paul the Apostle. And St. Paul preached the power of God at work in the lives of each one of us. His own conversion shows that power in his own life. Out of a persecutor, God made a preacher and teacher of the peoples. And then on Thursday, it's the feast of St. Timothy and Titus both bishops. These were very close to St. Paul also as followers and later in their work with him. And uh, tradition makes Timothy the first bishop of Ephesus. Uh, And then on Saturday we've got St. Thomas Aquinas, priest and doctor of the church. He was born in Italy in 1224 and died in 1274. Thomas taught that Christian revelation and human knowledge are aspects of a single truth and cannot be in in conflict with one another. One of the greatest theologians, his patron of schools, 
universities, students and booksellers. Thank you so much for that, Martina. So just on EWTN, just a quick mention this week. Of course, the March for Life is on um, next week in the United States. Um, maybe might just mention a little bit about that later on to us. But those of you who want to, to um, check in to EWTN, there's live and complete coverage of the most important pro-life event in the year in America. That's the annual March for Life in Washington. And you can get at it at 2 o'clock local time on Friday. And actually, that goes on for hours. It's about eight and a half hours. It's wonderful to see the witness especially of young people there in that particular match. It's on every year. Now, just before we invite Mary um, to share with us some of her story, there's a prayer that I'd, I'd like to share with listeners. Um, this is um, a vocations prayer that I prayed last week, and I think we, we, we'd like to share it with you again this morning. Almighty God, you called us through baptism to, to, to discipleship with your Son, Jesus Christ, and you sent us to bring good news of salvation to all peoples. We pray that those whom God is calling from our community to serve in priesthood and religious life may respond with generosity, faith, and that they may receive support, encouragement, and spiritual nourishment for the seed of their vocation in their families and in the wider parish community. And we ask this to Christ our Lord. Amen. So at this stage, I might ask Mary to share with us. Mary, um, your story, you sent it to us there just a few weeks ago. It's really interesting. I'm sure people would love to to hear where you're coming from. Mary, would you mind sharing that with us, please? Sure, I'd be glad to. Thank you. Well, I grew up in a kind of typical Catholic family. We were what you might call Sunday Catholics. Mm-hmm. Um, we went to Mass on Sunday morning, but that was about it, at least for my first years. We didn't really pray together as a family, and the faith wasn't um, a, a huge part of our lives other than uh, Sunday Mass. But then when I was 12 years old, my parents went on a retreat called a Curcio retreat, and they encountered the Lord, and they had really had a radical conversion to a, a personal relationship with Jesus, and their lives changed, and I, I saw it, you know, all of us kids saw the change in their life, saw them filled with joy and a, a new humility and a new sense of purpose in life as disciples of Christ, and I was very impressed by that. And as a teenager, I participated in retreats, and I was drawn to the Lord, and and I wanted to go deeper in my faith. But looking back, in hindsight, I can see that one lack in my formation was I didn't really know how to have a prayer life. Mm -hmm. I didn't know how to have a daily relationship with the Lord, where I was talking to him, listening to him, learning from him. Mm-hmm. And so when I went to college, I because it was a very secular atmosphere, even though it was a Catholic university, um, I kind of drifted away from the Lord. Mm-hmm. I, I didn't leave the Catholic faith, but um, I, I drifted away, and I, I knew I, I wasn't living a life in, in keeping with what God wanted for me. Mm-hmm. And by the end of my university years, I, I felt really spiritually empty and and far from God. And I decided that God had to be the first priority in my life. I knew I needed God. And at that time, my younger sister was a student at Franciscan University of Steubenville in Ohio, which is a, a very spirit-filled, um, enthusiastically, dynamically Catholic university. Mm-hmm. And I saw her life change. 
And so I decided I have to go there because I have to find God. And so I decided to go to graduate school there. And at the time, they only had two graduate programs, one in education, which I, I knew I didn't want to do, mm-hmm. and the other was in theology. So I chose theology by default. Mm-hmm. But God has his ways. Yes. And uh, I loved mm-hmm. theology, and particularly I took a course on the Gospel of Mark with a priest named Father Francis Martin. And it was so inspiring, so amazing to me to see what depth there is in the Word of God, to see how many interconnections there are, to see how God speaks directly to us and into our lives through His Word. And I fell in love with the Word of God. So after that point, I felt more and more drawn to study Scripture as as the God's call on my life. And from there, um, at, at Franciscan University, I, I was baptized in the Holy Spirit. I was prayed over for that gift. That was life-changing as well. And and then the Lord led me to a, a charismatic Catholic community in Maryland, near Washington, D.C., called Mother of God Community. And there I lived in a household with other young women. And through the challenges of living together in a very intentional way, mm-hmm. really seeking to grow in holiness together and support and encourage and, and call each other on, um, and experiencing all the conflicts that go with different personalities living in close contact. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, it was a, an opportunity for the gospel to be worked much more deeply into my life. And and through all the um, struggles we had in, in relationships, we, I and my housemates really learned the power of the cross and the resurrection as, you know, not just a doctrine, but a real power in our lives. And we, we learned how the evil one, Satan, is always trying to tear down, always trying to divide and isolate, mm-hmm. but we could stand together against him in Christ through prayer and, and spiritual warfare and, and forgiveness and repentance where necessary and um, really calling upon the power of our Lord's cross and, and his precious blood. So that was a tremendously formative, um, foundation-laying period in my life. And it was a great preparation for marriage. Um, all my housemates got married. <laughs> I was mm. called to a consecrated single life. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was a great preparation for all of us. And um, eventually I, I did uh, go to Rome, and I, I finished a doctorate in biblical theology. So I, I did what I had originally planned to do, and... The Lord put, put me on a detour that was um, very much for the, the better, uh, but then eventually did fulfill that, that dream of getting a doctorate in biblical theology. And I came back to Mother of God Community and served in leadership there for a while. And, and then the Lord called me to Sacred Heart uh, Seminary in Detroit, Michigan. So I teach on the faculty there now, and, and it's a wonderful place to be. As you were talking there, Mary, um, I was just, you know, as you were talking there, uh, I was just thinking about your time together uh, in the house with your friends, and mm-hmm. it just reminded me of marriage, you know, because you t- you talked about the cross, and you talked about repentance, and you talk about praying in unison, and praying for spirit- against spiritual warfare, and all of that, and like, 
I'm married with two children and, you know, when you live together with people, you're going to have the normal day-to-day difficulties of whatever. And uh, mm-hmm. you need God in your life to um, sustain you and to give you the grace to forgive and to accept the forgiveness and all the rest. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes, there's so many false ideas that are pervade by the world, um, especially relating to marriage and family. Um, you know, one of the silly ideas out there is that love means never having to say you're sorry. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I know. I mean, that's, that's a hill of beans. Of yeah. course, if you love one another, um, and, and you're together, particularly in a marriage context, you're, you're going to hurt each other occasionally. Yeah. And to love is to say you're sorry. Absolutely, to be, yeah. To be willing to, to take the humble step, step of um, repenting and asking forgiveness of the other person. Yeah. And then offering forgiveness. Mm-hmm. You know, without without forgiveness, the idea that you would commit your life to another sinful, fallen human being who has character flaws yeah. and whose looks are going to fade after Absolutely. a while, it's yeah. just a crazy idea. Yeah, you're so but right. But thankfully, the Lord has given us the gift of forgiveness, and, and in Him, every occasion of asking forgiveness and receiving forgiveness actually becomes the means to a deeper love, a more yeah. a more lasting, a more um, enduring yes. relationship with one another. Yeah. I'm just curious to know, Mary, I've never heard of a Curcio retreat. A Curcio retreat, um, the Curcio movement, it's spelled uh, C-U-R-S-I-L-L-O. It's a Spanish word. And it was founded um, in the 1950s in Spain. Mm-hmm. And it's a movement that spread throughout the world, and um, it's centered on a four-day retreat, a Thursday through Sunday. Right. And ordinary parishioners go on this retreat, and then often those who have done the retreat become the re- leaders for the next retreat. Mm-hmm. And um, there's a, a whole plan that, that they've developed of how the retreat goes. And... I know many people personally who found their lives changed by attending a Curcio retreat. Mm-hmm. You know, they went in um, just maybe having faith and maybe being a, a practicing Catholic, mm-hmm. but during the weekend they, they really encountered Jesus personally. And they, they come to have a taste of the love that God has for them. Mm-hmm. And, and that can't but be life-changing. Did, so did you, I, I thank did you, God for what Curcio has done, and um, you know now there are many other retreats that that are similar. Um, and the, and then in the Charismatic Renewal, there are uh, the Life in the Spirit seminar, right? And the Alpha Course. So those are all ways of encountering Jesus personally. Did you say the rules? Did you pray the Rosary at home when you were young? Well, after that Curcio experience. Um, my parents did at some point decide that we needed to pray together right. as a family. Mm-hmm. And so every night we did pray the rosary. Mm-hmm. And um, looking back, it's just, I, I can't even believe they persevered because they got so much pushback from us kids. Right. It was really a spiritual battle. It was like the right. evil one was so determined yeah. to stop us from praying together. And so, you know, then one night there would be a fight. And, Another night there would Sounds be you know, one kid in, in a mood yeah. or um, some other hindrance, some something else to stop it. I mean, night after night there was an obstacle, mm-hmm. and they persevered. 
Right. And I think it's a big reason why all my siblings and I to this day are faithful Catholics. Oh, yeah. And yeah. love the Lord. It's, it's family prayer is very powerful. Yeah. So, Mary, at this particular time, um, we'll have to go for a bit of music. Um, there was a few, uh, there, there was a few choices of music that you had. Which particular one would you like us to play at this stage, Mary? Why don't we play um, "Break Every Chain"? Okay. I, I love that song because it's it is about the power of the cross to break the chains of depression, discouragement, division, conflict, addiction, depression. All the, the, the ways that Satan harasses and, and burdens us are broken by the power of the cross of Jesus. So let's listen to this. This is Break, in, uh, Break Every Chain by Jesus Culture. So let's hear this.
Sacred Space. So welcome back again to the second part of Sacred Space. Uh, my name is John Kelly, so I'm joined in studio here by Anne Martina and joined on the other end of the Skype line by Dr. Mary Healy. Thanks for um, briefing us there, Mary, on, on, on your story so far in face uh, in, in general. But I know you were very much involved with the charismatic renewal. Uh, there's a lot of people maybe this morning listening to us we mightn't have heard of charismatic renewal. Could you just give us a flavor of that and what's involved and the charisms and so on and so forth? Sure, Thank sure, you. yes. Well, um, in a way, you could say it begins with Vatican Council II. Okay. Because as St. John Paul II observed, at Vatican Council II, there was a rediscovery of a dimension of the church that had been neglected for a long time. Never completely forgotten, but neglected. And that is what's called the charismatic dimension of the church. And as Pope John Paul II stated, and it's been repeated by subsequent popes, the charismatic dimension and the institutional dimension are both essential to the very nature of the church. So what we mean by the institutional dimension is the structure established by Christ, that there's a hierarchy with bishops and priests and deacons and lay people, and that there's a sacramental order. So it's it's the structure of the church that we're familiar with. What we mean by the charismatic dimension is the way the Holy Spirit works spontaneously and unpredictably through every member of the body of Christ, distributing gifts and charisms that are unique to each person. And so both the institutional or hierarchical dimension and the charismatic dimension are ways that the Holy Spirit works. You could say one is from above and the other is from below, so to speak. And both are necessary to the health of the Church as the body of Christ. But over the centuries, the charismatic dimension got neglected, as I mentioned, and the institutional dimension got overemphasized. And Vatican Council II in the 1960s kind of corrected that and, and reminded the Church that the Holy Spirit works not only through the sacraments and the hierarchy, but also by distributing charisms among all the faithful. Well, it's interesting that the Council wrote that, and then two years after the Council ended, in 1967, there was an amazing outpouring of the Spirit. It began in a group of college students at Duquesne University in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, USA. They were on retreat and they were seeking to grow in their Catholic faith and and they felt led to renew their baptismal promises. And uh, it's interesting because at the retreat center, the plumbing broke and the students were told, we're gonna have to cancel the retreat, you're gonna have to go home. Mm -hmm. And they prayed for water. They prayed, oh, Lord, give us water, because they didn't want to cancel the retreat. Well, God answered their prayer physically. A plumber came unexpectedly and fixed the plumbing, but he answered their prayer spiritually, because on the Saturday night, some of the students walked into the Eucharistic chapel, and they were just hit with the presence of God. The presence of God was so thick in that chapel that some of the students just fell flat on their faces, and they began to worship God as they never had before. Right. Some of them remained in worship all night long, mm-hmm. didn't feel tired at all. Mm-hmm. And they began to praise God in the gift of tongues, which is 
praising God aloud, but in an unknown language. And they didn't even know what that was at the time. Mm-hmm. And afterward, they began to manifest other gifts of the Spirit, gifts of prophecy and, and healing and discernment of spirits. And they were so profoundly renewed in their relationship with the Lord. It was as if everything came alive to them. The scripture came alive. The sacraments came alive. Everything that they they had believed, they now knew as, as a, a reality in their lives. Mm-hmm. And so this grace of being baptized in the Spirit very quickly spread from those students to other students um, in the U.S., but then very quickly throughout the whole world. And over the years, um, many, many people um, experienced that same touch from the Holy Spirit, transforming their lives um, really pouring the love of the Father into their hearts and and revealing the reality of Jesus and the kingship of Jesus in a new way. And and, and that transformed people's lives. And it's estimated that um, as of now, something like 170 million Catholics have received this this grace of being baptized in the Holy Spirit. I've been touched by it in one way or another. And I have to say, my life was changed by it. Um, the lives of, of my family members, many, many friends, were, have have been um, you know, completely changed by this gift of God. I, I so read, I've been I, participating in the charismatic renewal ever since. Yeah, you, you told a story, Mary, about you. You were on the beach in Florida. That, oh yes, and you went, um, you, this was one of the ways that that the Lord made Himself real to me. Yeah. Um, when I was a student at Franciscan University, I decided I was going to go with a group of people who were going to Daytona Beach, Florida for spring break, mm-hmm. which is what thousands of college students do to party and have a good time. Mm-hmm. Only we went to evangelize. <laughs> yeah. And well done. so uh, we, we went on this trip and we were actually on the beach talking to people, just walking up to strangers and chatting with them, and then um, whenever there was an opportunity, talking about Christ. And one night during that week, we were in a church and we were praising and worshiping and our, our band was leading us and, and they were singing a refrain over and over again, He is alive. He is alive. He's alive. Mm-hmm. And as they sang that, it just, all of a sudden, it, it struck me in a, in a new way. It struck me to the heart. He is alive. And it, it wasn't just a doctrine anymore. It wasn't just a uh, something I affirm by faith because I've been told, yeah. but something I knew. Mm-hmm. I knew it as a as a personal reality. He is alive. Mm-hmm. I knew he was alive alive in my life, and he was alive in the world. Mm-hmm. And and that conviction has never left me since then. Praise God. I'm just conscious of people listening this morning mm-hmm. that want that same experience. Like yes. how best. Should we prepare? Should we ask God to do to do that? The first and foremost thing is to ask the Father and right. ask Him perseveringly. Okay. And Jesus specifically told us to do that. He said, "You know, if you who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more mm-hmm. will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit mm-hmm. to those who ask Him?" So, so we need to ask perseveringly for days, weeks, months, as long as it takes. Mm-hmm. And then we need to seek out where are there people who are filled with the Holy Spirit and who can testify mm-hmm. to it. 
and they are there in Ireland. I, I spoke at the National Charismatic Conference last year in yeah. Dublin, last mm-hmm. June. And um, there's a Charismatic Renewal Office, I think it's in Cork mm-hmm. City. Mm-hmm. Uh, there is. But I'm sure it can be found uh, mm-hmm. on the internet. And um, you can look for the Charismatic Renewal Retreats or prayer group in your area. Um, I think it would be helpful to read books about baptism in the Holy Spirit. Right. Particularly, there's one that I co-authored. It's called Baptism in the Holy Spirit. And it's a book by the Doctrinal Commission of International Catholic Charismatic Renewal Services. Right. Okay. Okay. And the Lord will provide if we keep pursuing and seeking and asking. And Just in terms of, you know, you, you've obviously witnessed many healings, Mary, because I've listened to your talks on YouTube. Like, could you share maybe one or two stories of particular healings that really struck you? Sure. Well, um, many of the healings that I first began to witness and experience were when I went on a mission trip to Brazil with a Protestant healing evangelist named Randy Clark, Mm -hmm. from whom I've learned so much. There's so much we can learn from one another as um, Catholics and Protestants in the body of Christ. And uh, that's where I first started to see miracles and realized that we can pray for healing and see miracles. And um, one of the first ones was a young boy came up to my prayer line. Uh, The whole team uh, had prayer lines with people coming up to ask for our prayer. We laid hands on them and prayed for them. Mm -hmm. And this teenage boy came up and he said, uh, I have vision trouble. And I wanted to get a better idea of what he meant, so I said, uh, well, can you see that sign on the wall over there? And he said, yeah, I can see that, but it's up-close vision that I have trouble with. I'm having trouble reading. I asked him, have you seen a doctor? He said, no. And it struck me that he's one of the poor. He's like so many in Brazil, he doesn't have access to good medical care. And I saw there, as I've seen since then, it's particularly among the poor who have no recourse but God himself, that God loves to lavish his grace. He loves to lavish his grace on everybody, but the poor are, are often more open. Right. And they, they don't have a fallback. I know. They, all they have is God. Yes. And he, he, he just loves to lavish his grace on, on people like that. So uh, so I said to this boy, okay, let's pray over you. And I and my interpreter prayed over him for a few minutes, and then I said, okay, let's test it out. I said, does anybody around here have a book we can use? And uh, people looked around, and finally somebody brought up the tiniest Bible I've ever seen. <laughs> and it was tiny. And the, the text was like six-point font right. that I could barely read in this dark church. Yeah. But I gave it to the boy, and he he opened up to a page at random, and he read straight down the page, My no problem. <laughs> and I just God. thought, wow, yeah, I know. <laughs> wow, God, you do this. Yeah. And goodness. then um, another one was uh, maybe a year or so after uh, that trip, uh, I was here in the U.S. and um, gave a talk at a Catholic school, and uh, it was on healing, and one of the faculty members came up afterward and she said, would you pray over me for healing? Mm -hmm. And I said, sure, what do you need prayer for? She said, I'm having trouble breathing, I think I might have pneumonia. Mm -hmm. I said, sure, and uh, there were a couple other faculty members there, I said, let's all pray over her together. Mm -hmm. So we prayed over her and 
when we were finished, one of the faculty members who knew her well said to her, how about getting prayer for that other thing too? Mm-hmm. And she was a little hesitant, but she said, okay. She said, nobody knows this except my friend here, but I, I hemorrhage like the woman in the gospel. Mm-hmm. She said, it's been going on for two years and um, it's, it's, it's really... Um, affecting my life. Mm-hmm. Uh, she said, I have to take heavy-duty medication to stop the bleeding, and it has serious side effects. Um, it carries a risk of stroke. She said, twice I've tried to go off the medication, and it landed me in the hospital. And one time I was there for 12 days, and I almost died. Gosh. So she said, I don't know what to do about this. Um, is, you know, I have no energy. So I said, okay, let's pray for that too. And as we began to pray, I, I just had a thought that I should ask her this question because I know that very often one of the biggest obstacles to healing is unforgiveness. Mm-hmm. Unforgiveness blocks the grace of the Lord. Mm-hmm. So I asked her, um, is there anything painful that happened around the time that this began? And almost immediately she said, well, yeah, that was when my husband stopped going to church. And I could see that that was really painful for her, right. that her husband had abdicated his spiritual leadership in the mm-hmm. family. I said, have you forgiven him? She said, well, I've tried. Yeah. And I could tell she hadn't you know, fully forgiven him. Yeah. So I explained to her what forgiveness is, and I said, it doesn't mean that you're minimizing the offense. It doesn't mean you're just sweeping it under the rug and mm-hmm. saying, oh, no big deal. Mm-hmm. But it does mean that you give up your right to hold it against him. Right. You give him a gift, you give the other person a gift they don't deserve. Yeah. If they deserved it, we'd have to call it something other than forgiveness. Yes. So you're, you're allowing the Lord to be the judge of that person. Okay. He judges it perfect justice and mercy. Okay. So she agreed with that, and she uh, I led her in a very simple prayer, forgiving her husband completely from mm-hmm. the heart. Mm-hmm. And then we prayed over her, this condition Mm -hmm. and then I left and 11 days later I got an email from her and she copied the entire faculty and staff of the school which was just wonderful to tell them what the Lord had done praise God and she said when you left the chapel she said I I felt like I had been healed she said it was as you were praying it was like a warm blanket came over me I Mm -hmm. can't even describe how wonderful it was Mm -hmm. and she said um she said, you have to understand, I'm a skeptic. I'm a scientist. I'm not into this kind of thing. Mm-hmm. But I, I felt like I had been healed, and I looked up at the crucifix, and I said, Jesus, did you heal me? And he nodded. <laughs> <laughs> and she said, I've been completely fine ever since My then. goodness. No more you. Yeah. You know, Mary, I was just reading your book today, and I came across one of the, one of the, the chapters which, which said uh, three keys to serving, to seeing the Lord's power to heal. And one was intimacy with Jesus. Number two mm-hmm. was ask, seek, and knock. And the other one was obedience, do whatever he tells you. Mm-hmm. So I presume those three factors are huge, you know, when, you, when we pray for healing. Absolutely. I think one, one thing that has been really key for me to understand is that a charism of healing is not something that... If somebody has that charism, they, they kind of have it in their pocket. They keep it in their pocket, and they can take it out whenever they want. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I think I'll heal that person as I'm mm-hmm. walking down the street. Mm-hmm. 
No, with every gift of the Spirit, and this is a gift like any other that we can ask for, mm-hmm. um, with every gift of the Spirit, it's actually God, the Holy Spirit, operating through you. Mm-hmm. It's His decision, it's His work, it's His power. Mm-hmm. And therefore, the closer you are to Jesus, mm-hmm. the more you know who He is and what He's like, you understand His ways, you love Him, you're being purified of you know, all the selfish motives and pride and ego and you know, all the things that, that can make our, our witness impure, yeah. you're growing in intimacy with Him, then the more freely you can be used by the Holy Spirit. You're like an instrument on which the Holy Spirit is playing. Right. So that intimacy with, with Jesus is absolutely key. I mean, we can't think that we're going to be an instrument of the Holy Spirit if we're not praying every day mm-hmm. and reading Scripture every day and, and really cultivating our relationship with the Lord mm-hmm. so that we're able to represent Him, to be His presence wherever the Lord sends us. Maybe, maybe with those thoughts, we might go for a second bit of music. Mm-hmm. What piece of music would you like us to play now? How about uh, 10,000 Reasons? That's one of my favorite songs. Beautiful. Okay, let's, let's 10,000 Reasons by Matt Bedford. Your holy name 
Sacred Space. So welcome back again to the third part of Sacred Space here in West Limit 102. My name is John Keeley, joined in studio here by Anne and Martina. And Dr. Mary Healy is, is still with us on the other end of the Skype line from Detroit in Michigan. Um, Martina, there's something you wanted to just chat with Mary about for about two or three minutes. Yeah, given, John, that we, we're very fortunate that we're going to have the World Meeting of Families in Dublin in 2018. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Mary, I'd love your wisdom on... First of all, you know, give us ideas, ways to strengthen our families today. And maybe this might be a topic maybe that, that we might get an opportunity to speak about again, because I would love to, to, because I've heard you talking about the experience of authentic love within marriage according to God's plan and the theology of the body. So maybe that's for another day, maybe. But, mm-hmm. you know, just given the fact that we're, we're, we're coming up to the world meeting of families, that you might just touch on that for a few minutes. Mm-hmm. Yes, well, um, the first thing I would say is that marriage and the family were created by God. Mm-hmm. God it, romantic love is God's invention. Mm-hmm. God loves marriage. He loves romance. And God's plan for human fulfillment, both for those who are called to marriage and those who are called to the consecrated life or the priesthood or the single life, is for our perfect happiness. Mm-hmm. God's design mm-hmm. is the, the right one, the perfect one. And yet today the world is proposing uh, or even uh, aggressively promoting other ways of conceiving the family and, and marriage mm-hmm. that are contrary to God's plan and ultimately lead to human brokenness and, and lead to tremendous damage to families and particularly to children. Mm-hmm. So I think the first thing we need to do is to educate ourselves, equip ourselves in God's marvelous design for human love. Mm-hmm. And the tool that that is really surpasses all others for doing that in our time is the theology of the body. Mm-hmm. It's St. John Paul II's beautiful reflections mm-hmm. on the meaning of human love in God's plan. Now, his reflections are rather deep and philosophical, and um, usually uh, the first thing you want to read is not the, the actual text of, of his talks, mm-hmm. but um, introductions to it, and that's the reason why I wrote the book, Men and Women Are From Eden. Yeah. And, and the title is a, a takeoff of, on the popular book, Men Are From Mars, Women Are From, from Venus, Venus, and that yeah. explains all the conflicts between men and women. And the point of the title, Men and Women Are From Eden, is that if we really want to understand how to have beautiful relationships that restore something of the paradise Mm -hmm. that God gave humanity in the beginning, Mm -hmm. then we need to learn what God has revealed, beginning with the book of Genesis. Mm -hmm. We need to to learn about how God designed man and woman for mutual self-giving love, how he, he designed our very bodies to be mm-hmm. a vehicle and expression mm-hmm. of spousal total self-giving. Mm-hmm. And when it's lived out according to God's plan, even though there's all kinds of brokenness in most of us because mm-hmm. we live in a dysfunctional world and many of us came from dysfunctional families, mm-hmm. the Lord heals that. Yeah. And if, if we seek His healing and we're willing to repent and forgive and and work through difficulties in relationships, the Lord can make such a beautiful thing out of marriages and families. 
So I would say, first and foremost, learn God's beautiful plan, especially through the theology of the body, and then pray as a family. I shared a few minutes ago about how my my parents decided we were going to pray together as a family, and they had to go through a lot of spiritual battles with us kids to to do that, but they persevered, and there's been great, great fruit from that. Great. Mary, thank you so much for that. <clears throat> Indeed, I'd say that's a that's a program for for maybe another Skype yes. call to Mary at one particular yeah. stage. But in the meantime, uh, we must go and um, reflect on the Word of God, which is the most important part of this particular program any week and before that. And there's a prayer you always pray for us, please, before reading and reflecting on Scripture. Thank you. Uh, okay. Lord, we thank you for pushing us in the presence of your Word, which you inspired in your prophets. May we approach this word reverently, attentively, and humbly. May we not despise this word, but receive all it has to say to us. We know that our hearts are closed, often incapable of comprehending the simplicity of your word. Send your spirit to us, so that receiving the word in truth and simplicity our lives may be transformed by it. Let us not be resistant, Lord. May your word penetrate us like a two-edged sword. May our hearts be open to it. Let not our eyes be closed or our minds wander. May we give ourselves entirely to this listening. We ask this order in union with Mary, who used to recite the Psalms to Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Amen. Thank Amen. you so much for that. And so now the Gospel for today, the third Sunday in Ordinary Time, is uh, taken from the Gospel of Matthew. Matthew, you might share that with us, please. Hearing that John had been arrested, Jesus went to Galilee, and leaving Nazareth, he went and settled in Capernaum, a lakeside town on the borders of Zebulun and Naphtali. In this way, prophecy of Isaiah Isaiah was to be fulfilled. Land of Zebulun, land of Naphtali, way of the sea on the far side of Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people that lived in darkness has seen a great light. On those who dwell in the land and shadow of death, a light has dawned. From that moment, Jesus began his preaching with the message, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is close at hand. As he was walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who was called Peter, and his brother Andrew. They were making a cast in the lake with their net, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And they left their nets at once and followed him. Going on from there, he saw another pair of brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. They were in their boat with their father Zebedee, mending their nets, and he called them. At once, leaving the boat and their father, they followed him. He went round the whole of Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, and curing all kinds of diseases and sickness among the people. Thank you so much for that, Martina. Uh, Mary, I'm sorry, but we've only got about five minutes, four and a half minutes. Could you mind sharing your thoughts on the Gospel, please? Sure, I'd be glad to. Well, first of all, we see in this Gospel how the coming of Jesus and everything he did is not 
an unexpected new initiative of God, but what God planned all along and prepared for through the whole history of Israel and promised and prophesied in the scriptures. So the story of Jesus is the climax of the story of Israel. And there's this jubilant proclamation, the people that lived in darkness. I mean, that's all of us. Mm -hmm. The whole human race, Mm -hmm. apart from God, is in darkness. Mm -hmm. We have now seen a great light. And those who lived in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. So God wants each of us to experience that light of Christ shining into our lives. And then we see the beginning of Jesus' public ministry, his preaching the gospel, the kingdom of heaven is at hand, and, and then we see the call of the fishermen. And, and this is something that we, um, we might not notice if we've heard this story many times before, but notice that Peter and Andrew are fishing. They're just going about their ordinary lives. They're doing their job. And Jesus walks by and he makes this astounding pronouncement and invitation. Follow me. I will make you fishers of men. And they instantly drop their nets. They, they, they leave everything of their lives and follow him. And we're supposed to wonder, why did they do that? Mm-hmm. You know, what, what made them, as, as they're mm-hmm. going about their daily business, making money to raise their families, this rabbi, who was a carpenter, calls them and they drop everything. Why? Well, I think one clue is that um, it says as Jesus was walking by or passing by, if you look in the Old Testament, you see that that notion of passing by is often the language of a theophany. When, when Moses is on Mount Sinai, it says God passed by. Mm-hmm. And then later when Elijah was on Mount Sinai, Mount Horeb, God passed by. So, What's going on here? It's more than an ordinary man calling them. Mm-hmm. This is an encounter with the Lord God mm-hmm. who's present in Jesus. And there's something that has a, a divine authority in his call. And same thing then with James and John. They, they drop everything. That's what we're called to do. You know, Every one of us is called to be a disciple. We're not all called to be apostles, but every one of us is called to be a disciple. And to be ready to drop everything doesn't mean, you know, leave our families or leave our work, but it means be willing to let go of whatever the Lord asks us to let go of to make Him our first priority. And then it goes on from there and it, it gives a, a summary of Jesus' ministry. And and this too we often don't notice. He went around the whole of Galilee teaching, proclaiming the good news, and healing. Jesus' healings mm-hmm. are not a side note. They're not peripheral. They are at the heart of his mission. The whole reason he came, you could even say, is to heal. To heal in the deepest sense. Mm-hmm. Physically, spiritually, emotionally, psychologically. To heal human beings of all the devastating effects of sin. And so his healings are not just um, external proofs of the truth of, of his message. They are the embodiment of his message. The kingdom is here. How do you know? Because people are getting healed. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. His lives are getting transformed. People are getting set free. Yeah. And the Lord does that still today. Mm-hmm. 
Dr. Mary, thank you so much for joining that, uh, for joining us today. Thank you so much indeed for that reflection. And indeed, thank you so much for sharing so much good news with us this morning. Oh, Mary, it's been wonderful. And I'm sure You're so welcome. many people there have... There is a lot of good news because yeah. Jesus is Lord. Yeah, and so many people have benefited so much, so greatly from this program. It may be, it might be the first time you might join us, Mary. You might, you might, we might be able to twist your arm. <laughs> sure, I'd be she'll glad catch to. you by Skype again. Thank you so much, Mary. God bless you, You're Mary. Welcome. Just before we, just before we go um, and play the last bit of music, just a very short prayer you'd like to pray for us here in Ireland, this particular stage. Some some of us may be just trying to hold on to our faith by our fingernails. Mm, just, yes. just, just maybe. Oh Lord, I I lift up to you this wonderful nation of Ireland, the nation of my ancestry, the nation that gave my ancestors and me the Christian faith, the land that was evangelized by St. Patrick and so many other great saints and sent so many missionaries and saints throughout the world. Lord, I pray for Ireland during this time of of spiritual darkness and, and battle and confusion, that you would shine your light upon that land, O Lord, that you would encourage the downhearted, Lord, that, that you would bring new hope, that you would bring an outpouring of the Spirit upon Ireland, a tsunami of the Spirit, Lord, that there would be uh, flowers even growing out of concrete, a, a springtime of the Spirit in Ireland, that those who are hungry for you, O oh Lord, those who are hungry for truth and meaning would find you and would experience the power and the fire of the Holy Spirit. Praise God. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much, Mary. Mary, um, you've got one more piece of music to play before we finish up the program, please. Okay, a king of my heart. And so we'll we'll play king of the heart. Until we speak again, Mary, thank you so much for joining us again. And um, I'll invite our listeners to to listen in to King of My Heart by the Caves. Let's hear this. Thank you, Mary.
Sacred Space